Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. Bless. Isn't that isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? It is great to see so many little ones in our church. Now, if we haven't met before, my name is Andrew, and along with my wife, we are privileged to lead this wonderful church called uh, City Lights. And um, one of the things about me is that I love spicy food. All right. So uh, I don't know, anyone here loves spicy food, like Asian food, like kind of like you you name it, I'm I'm into it. So like Japanese, I love Thai, um, Korean, you know, anything like that. I am so into it. But uh, it wasn't always like that. So I grew up when I was about, my family were here in Everton Park when I was about six. And I call this time, no disrespect to my parents, but I call this time the food dark ages. Okay, we're talking meat and three vegetables. We're talking chops under the grill. Did anyone have a, a, a stage of life? Very Australian food, wonderful, so grateful to my parents. And then our family moved to Thailand. Now, you would think that that would have been the beginning of my journey to love spicy food, but that's not true. When we got to Thailand, all I wanted was McDonald's, right? That is just what I existed for. Big Macs and cheeseburgers, that was what I, what I wanted. We had the best Thai food available to us and I'd be like, I'll have fried rice and I'll have a burger anytime I can get it. Now, right now, when I came back, something happened and I started to develop this love of spicy food. Now, the thing is, it took a while for my taste buds to get on that new wavelength of spicy food. And I want to say in this series that we're talking about wavelength, this is a series about us recognizing and understanding the supernatural dimension. Now, by nature, Christianity is spiritual and supernatural. We believe in a risen God. We believe that Jesus died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. It doesn't get much more crazy, spiritual, supernatural than that. That's the cornerstone of our faith. But when we read the Bible, when we understand that we have a greater part to play in the supernatural, in the spirit, and also we need to understand that there are spiritual forces at work in our life. And this is what this series is about. And today I want to talk about supernatural and spiritual victory. I want to talk about spiritual victory. I want to talk about this idea. You've probably heard it if you've been in church or most churches, the idea of a, a spiritual breakthrough, a spiritual victory, you overcoming something spiritually, making spiritual progress. So I've got a couple of questions about that. And there are three that are coming on the screen. You can look at those. And the first is, if we're talking about spiritual victory, what are we trying to get victory over? That's the first question. The, the next question, what does spiritual victory look like? And where should we expect opposition? 
So if by nature, the fact that we have victory means that there are two parties that are at war and one wants to have dominance over the other. So let's start with the first one. What are we trying to get victory over? And the simple answer is sin. The simple answer is sin. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what has brought death and destruction into our world. I was having a a discipleship conversation uh, with a, a bunch of people the other day, and we were talking about one of the roles of us in church community. And this was something that I had never kind of uh, thought about or reflected on. But one of the key roles that you and I have is to help each other overcome the power of sin in our lives. I don't know if you realize, but see, Mike, Mike's in uh, my connect group. So Mike and I, we are here to help each other overcome the power of sin in our life and to see spiritual victory and spiritual progress. So what are we trying to get victory over? Sin. And what does spiritual victory look like? Well, the word that we use in this church and the word that Steph mentioned is this word renewal. And essentially, it means that we want to see dead things come to life. We sung about it. We see graves to gardens. We want to see things that are done and dusted, that have no life, being breathed into with spiritual life. Now, let me ask you a question. What in your life right now would you say has been touched by the destructive and destroying power of sin that you need new life being brought into? Because renewal looks like a whole bunch of different things. Renewal looks like you are free from the bondage of your past. Renewal looks like your home is a place of peace. It doesn't have shouting. It doesn't have conflict. Renewal looks like generational curses are broken off. Renewal looks like you can smile when you've got every reason to be upset and cry. It's the joy of the Lord. Renewal looks like bodies being healed. And renewal is not just stopping doing bad things, but it's actually being in a place where your life begins to overflow with the fruit of the Spirit where you begin to have love come out of you, where you begin to have joy, where you begin to have peace, where you are patient, where you are kind, when you are gentle, instead of being angry and, and harsh, it's, spiritual victory doesn't bring you to neutral. It brings you to be a positive force for renewal in your life. But here's the thing. Spiritual victory is opposed. And every time we set our hearts, we set our minds on bringing things that are dead back to life, on seeing renewal, there is a sense of pushback and sometimes that pushback is even violent. Sometimes it's things happen outside, but sometimes we feel that inner conflict, there is pushback within and things which are opposing us from seeing the spiritual victory that God has for us. So if we're fighting against sin and we want to see renewal, we want to see dead things come back to life, how does that work? And today I want to look at a broader understanding 
of sin and a passage of scripture from the book of Ephesians, which is going to help bring us understanding so we can see the forces that we're fighting against and the battle that God has called us to win. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is sin versus sins. So capital S, sin versus sins. Now, some people, when we talk about sin, we talk about, not quite ready for that slide yet. When we talk about sin, people understand sometimes sin as personal disobedience, right? And so it's the bad things that I do. That is sin, all right? And so the answer often to that is, if I can stop doing bad things, then I will have victory over sin. Now, logically, we would then lead to us having more willpower. And so if I have more willpower over sin, and if I stop doing the things that I shouldn't, then I will have a spiritual victory in my life. But what we need to do is we need to do away with a limited definition just as a tendency to sin as a behavioral disobedience. And we need to understand and uh, better understand the nature and power of sin, spiritual opposition and spiritual victory. And now stay with me because we're going to unpack this together. Now, the first thing that I want to say is that sin, whilst yes, there are different acts of disobedience that we do, sin is a system. When uh, Adam and Eve sinned against God, sin came into the world. And so sin, the, the effects of sin are much more pervasive and are everywhere around us in the world. And we'll unpack this and talk about this together. So we're going to understand and deal with them. And to do that, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And here it says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. This is what we were talking about. Sin brings death and we need to bring the renewing life of Jesus to overcome. It brings death to relationship with God. It brings death to relationship with others. And God hates it. But here is now I want to start talking about three enemies to spiritual victory. And we're going to unpack sin and the idea of sin and the system of sin together. I'm going to overview two, but I'm going to focus on one. And the first enemy of spiritual victory is this. It is the world, which is the power around us. Ephesians 2, 2a, it says this, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So the first uh, understanding of the power of sin is that sin as a system has begun to affect the ideas, values and practices of our world. And much of what our generation calls culture Jesus and the writers of the Bible called the world. So it's this system of ideas, values, practices, social norms that are institutionalized in culture and are organized around rebelling against God. 
Who knows that our culture increasingly does not celebrate Christianity or Christian ideals or Christian values. And if we understand the history of the church and culture, it's most often that way. I think right now we're a little surprised that our world doesn't celebrate Christianity and Christian values and Christian culture. But actually God has called us to stand up in our culture with the loving message of Jesus and the gospel and to declare the plans and purposes of God. So those without Christ are captive to the social and value system of this current age, which is hostile to Christ. So remember, we're talking about how does sin affect us and what does sin look like? Sin in the world, sin around us, is, the, is this culture that is opposed to God, that is hostile to God, and it's deeply embedded in thinking, ideology, and value system. If you want to test this out and you're on any kind of social media platform, put up a post that is opposed to current cultural thinking and you'll get a pretty good example of what it looks like to be in a world that is hostile to Jesus and his ways. That's the first one. The first enemy to spiritual victory is the power of sin around us, this system of culture. And the second one is this, the devil. He goes on and says, Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world, he's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So the devil is the power of sin above us. Here's a a quote uh, from an author and pastor, John Mark Comer. He says this, the modern secular world laughs off the idea of the devil as a relic from a pre-scientific age. Now we know better is the mantra of the progressive West. And yet secular theories that attempt to explain evil fall flat of the human experience. For Jesus, the devil's primary strategy to ruin the soul and society isn't what most of us expect. It's lies. And more specifically, it's deceptive ideas that play into disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. So we think that spiritual things, now that we have science, now that we are rational thinkers, now that we are enlightened with our knowledge, that the things, uh, that the, the spiritual world is no longer relevant. But what we're saying here is that the devil is still at work and he's, the main way his work is deceptive lies and ideas that come in and you see the interconnectedness of the world and the devil in this thing here. So deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in sinful society. So the first one is the power of sin around us. The second is the power of sin above us. And the third, and here's what I want to focus on, is the power of sin within us in what the Apostle Paul calls the flesh. Ephesians 2, 3a, all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires 
and thoughts. So when we're talking about spiritual victory and overcoming sin, the pushback that we will receive as we try and do that is at a number of levels. The pushback is at the world, the devil, and the flesh. So there's a pushback with people around us. There is a pushback with unseen forces. And there is also this pushback that is within us. And we're going to explain what that means so that we can get insight into how we overcome this. And flesh is the sin within. It's the damage that has been done to lives, to hearts, being in this world of sin. Now, the flesh is the most powerful disruptor for you getting on the wavelength of the spirit. Let me say that again. For you to get on a spiritual wavelength, the primary battle that you need to uh, face and you need to overcome is the power of sin within you. And you need to get victory over that. Flesh is, it's been described in a couple of things here. It's a habituated tendency to sin. It's your craving and comfort for pleasure that opposes God. And it's the biggest thing that is stopping you achieving spiritual victory. A couple of months ago, I, I connected with a, a guy who um, is, a, is a really good friend of mine, great guy. I uh, was in a church that I used to be involved in leadership um, many, many years ago. And I caught up with him and I was just chatting with how he's going. And he said to me, he said to me, Andrew, like I've, uh, I call myself a, a Christian, but I've stopped going to church. And he said, I, I, I just like having Sundays off. And I didn't say anything at the time because we were just catching up as friends and I don't have a discipleship or leadership uh, role in his life. But I wasn't surprised at all. Of course you don't want to go to church on Sundays. Of course there are going to be times where you want to sleep in. Of course there are going to be there is a pushback and an opposition to you being involved in Christian community for you to grow as a disciple. And that is the power of sin within you that wants to oppose connection with God and the people of God. So for us, we shouldn't be surprised when we have things rise up within us that say, oh, I don't want to do that, or I'd, I'd rather do something else. This is the power of flesh at work within us. Now, when Paul talks about the flesh in the Bible, there's 91 different times that it's mentioned in the Bible. And we're not saying that having fun or doing good things is, is evil or bad. But what we are recognizing is that there is a force within us that opposes God and the things of God. Now, the flesh is the biggest thing that's stopping your spiritual growth, but it's also the key to spiritual victory in your life, your world, and over every demonic force. Now, I believe that overcoming the flesh is the power of God. It, is, it releases the power of God within you. Now, what we see in Jesus' life is that Jesus was not bothered by culture and he was not bothered by demonic forces. Do you know why? Because he had overcome 
the flesh and the power of the flesh in his life. So what I'm saying here is if we have spiritual victory over the flesh, if we recognize it, if we deal with it, then the demonic and the power of the world have little traction in our life. And I think that's important. So let's talk a little bit more about what the flesh is. The flesh is the disordered desires, drives, and a distrust of God that directly oppose the spirit in your life. If we're talking about a spiritual battleground, here is what it is. Galatians 5.16, so I says, uh, 5.16, Paul saying, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So here we see that there are two ethical forces that are competing with each other that are seeking to control your thoughts and your activities. One is the personal spirit of God and one is the personified flesh. This is what Paul is saying here, that the flesh is distrustful and disloyal to God And it wants to position you so that God's word and God's ways have no place in your life. It is going to oppose your spiritual progress from within. That's the first. It's the disordered drives, desires, and distrust of God. The second definition, or what the the flesh does, and this is important here, is the flesh creates a powerful relational resistance to the habits of friendship and life with the Spirit of God. The flesh does not want you to have a relationship with God. The flesh is going to oppose, it's this power within that is going to try and separate your friendship with God and the things that you do to nurture and perpetuate that friendship. And this is really important because ultimately, it's an interpersonal issue. The things that we do, the the things that we do, our behavioral disobedience, the things that we do that we don't want to or are not proud of are ultimately deeper. If we go deeper into the heart level, they are based on a distrust and a disloyalty to God. We don't trust God. We want to do things our own way. So we refuse to receive the loving presence of God and we reject it because we want to do things our own way. And also because we have grown up in a system that says we don't need God. We don't value God's presence in our life. We push Him away because we say, hey, I can do this on my own. I can do this better. I don't need you. I'm used to doing life by myself. But it's an interpersonal issue. We've got these habitual and ingrained attempts just to use our own natural resources and live apart from God 
instead of living a life with habits and practices which deepen our relationship with God. And it's not just a matter of doing the right things or going through the right motions. My wife and I uh, have been married almost for 19 years. And uh, in our relationship, if we just had a list of things that we committed to doing and not doing, for example, um, if we had clear communication, if we had regular date nights, um, if we really worked hard in the house to support each other, to make dinner, to clean up, to do all the, the things that we did. And also if we agreed that we wouldn't do anything to undermine the relationship, we would be honest, we would be truthful. And if we did all those things, all the good things that we need for a functioning relationship and all the things that we didn't do, we agreed not to do the bad things and agreed to do the good things. But if our relationship didn't have trust and didn't have love and was, didn't have a dependence upon each other, that relationship would be shallow and fruitless. Hopefully you're getting a little bit of a picture of what it means to have a life with the Spirit and also what the role of the flesh wants to do. The role of the flesh wants to separate your spirit life. It wants to push you away from relationship and intimacy and a deepening love and hunger and trust and dependence upon God. And so to help you kind of understand, I've given six stages of victory over the flesh and French, flen, uh, friendship, friendship, friendship with the Spirit. And the first one is this. You may be here and you're like, I've never thought. I've never thought that friendship with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit was possible. That's number one. Number two, I've thought about it, but I don't want to do it. And some of us are like, yeah, I know I should. I just, I just don't, and I don't want to, and I'm okay with that. And there is this relational resistance. The third is I want to, but I don't want to. Like, it's, it's there. I, yeah, I want to, but then I get to the end of the day, and I haven't done it. And then I get to the end of another day, and I haven't done it. And fourth, here is where we start to... I want to and I prioritize and push through my internal resistance. Here is what I'm saying. Your friendship with the Spirit of God is going to be one of the most opposed things in your life. 100%. Because if you have a friendship with the Spirit of God, if you have a love for the Word of God, if you have a commitment to obey the Word of God and to step out in spiritual authority, you are unstoppable. You will be an unstoppable force in your world. The things of God will begin to spring up. The life of the Spirit will begin to overflow. And of course, the devil wants to stop that. And of course, our desire to hold on to control ourselves wants to stop that. That is going to be opposed. But here's what we've got to understand is when we make space, not just to go through the motions, but to make space to have a deepening love and dependence on the Spirit, that is when the Spirit of God begins to flow in our lives. Number five, I'm learning to enjoy the habits of friendship 
with the Spirit. And I encourage you that if you stay on this journey, if you get past that resistance, number six, my time of friendship with the Spirit is a great joy in our life. I remember I used to uh, have a lot of sugar and I used to drink a lot of Coke. All right. So I used to, um, I think one time I had like, when I was a teenager, I had like 14 cans of Coke in one day. All right. Not particularly good for you. But what happened is over time, I decided that that wasn't a healthy habit. And over time, I began to change my tastes. Over time, my taste buds began to change. And so I no longer had this dependence, which it probably was, on this highly caffeinated, sugary product. Now I just have a dependence on coffee, but I don't have sugar in it. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes our minds, our hearts, our bodies, we, our habits and our likes and our wants and our desires are so ingrained and so set, but they're so opposed to life with the Spirit. But I want to encourage you as you lean in to the Spirit of God and as you say, Friendship with the Spirit, living in the Spirit, life of the Spirit, which is what Paul talks about consistently in the Bible, that is one of the most valuable things. As you lean in, your taste buds will change. Your spiritual appetites will change. You'll stop having burgers and go to nice Thai spicy food. You'll stop having Coke and go to wonderful coffee, maybe even make the change to oat milk as I have controversial. But here's what I'm saying. Once we overcome and recognize that the most normal thing for us is when we open our Bible, when we create a time to to pray, the most normal thing for us is that we're going to get some resistance. We're going to get voices within our head Let me talk about that. The flesh, when you open your Bible, when you begin to pray, the flesh will have this inner voice that says to you, you don't need to do that. This is boring. It'll say, don't get carried away. You live in the real world. It'll say to you, don't spend time with God. You've got jobs to do. That washing is not going to get done. That work is not going to get done. It will be this voice and this pressure within you. It'll say, hey, that's just for the professional Christians. You're not a pastor. You're just a normal person. You don't need to be in this space. And this is the opposition that we expect to receive. Let me give you really quickly uh, to finish on three keys to spiritual victory from this passage as we go on verse 4. Ephesians 2 verse 4, it says, But God, so we have these opposing forces of the world, the devil and the flesh. It says, But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ 
from the dead. It's only by grace that God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. My first point here is this. For us to have spiritual victory over the flesh, we need to start from the top. We need to start from the top. It says here that God raised Christ and he raised us to the heavenly realms. Now here's what often we, what we try to do when we try to overcome the power of sin is we work towards these steps and say, I've, I've got to overcome through willpower my personal disobedience, which either leads us to self-righteousness or self-despair. I've got to make steps to overcome sin in my life. And, and Paul is saying here, no, not at all. You need to recognize your position through the grace of Jesus Christ that you are in a privileged position. You are actually seated with Christ. The work is done. The work is finished. And so in your uh, victory, you need to start from the top. That when it comes to overcoming the power of flesh, when it comes to the voices in our mind, the voices in our culture that say you're not good enough, you'll never be enough, you can't go to Jesus because of what you've done. When we start from the top, we say, I am good enough, not because of myself, but because I've accepted Jesus. And Jesus is good enough. So we start from the top. Anytime you are seeking to overcome sin, the flesh, the world, or the devil, you start from the top. I'm with Christ. I'm a VIP. You enter in. All right, you start at the top. That's the first thing. The second thing is to take your seat at God's table. It says that we are seated with Christ. The seat represents a place of rest, relationship, and authority. Now, what we need to do, we don't need to contend against sin. Primarily, we need to contend for connection. So what is the battle that I need to fight? The battle I need to fight is anything that wants to separate my relationship with Jesus. And I need to fight that by claiming the grace and the work that Jesus has already done. So where do I start? I contend for connection and I say, I'm going to sit at God's table. You know, this world wants to distract us away from relationship with God, from the presence of God, from being in the fullness of God. And it wants to get us to leave the place that God has set for us, the place of relationship, uh, authority, and rest. God hasn't called you to strive against sin. He has called you to connect with Jesus and then allow the grace of God to flow to every area of your life. Ephesians 2 and 7, and our last point here, I'll ask uh, Miranda and Twinkie to come back. Ephesians 2, 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us, 
as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. No one can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. The first point was start from the top. The second point was take your seat at God's table. And the third point is this, never pay on credit. In my wallet, I have two cards. One is a credit card and one is a debit card. The credit card, I am uh, spending money and in about 60 days from now, I have to pay that money back. I have to come up with that money. Otherwise, I'm going to get charged interest. The debit card is a card that is using funds that are already there. And I want to encourage you in your battle against sin, in your desire to have spiritual victory, Never use a credit card. Never go with a mindset that I'm going to put something on my card and hope that God can come through for me. That is not the way of Jesus. How it works is that we put it on the debit card and we access all the resources of heaven. Ephesians chapter 1 says we have access to every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 2, 7 says we have the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us. Let's live lives in terms of our spirits, in terms of spiritual victory saying, hey, I'm not just throwing, you know, putting my money on the the pay pass and hoping that Jesus will come through. But I'm saying, God, You are full of grace. You are full of love. You are full of kindness. And our conversations and our thoughts begin to change. And it's based on what Jesus has already done, what Jesus has already deposited in us that we can live. Here's a question. Because of Jesus' love for me, how should I love others? Because Jesus has been kind to me, how should I treat my friend or my family members? When we understand and live from the wealth that we have, rather than trying to earn, trying to do a form of hustle Christianity where we keep doing things after things, rather than understanding that we have incredible wealth, that we have a position of grace, that we have relationship with Jesus and learning to live from that respect. Let's pray together. Why don't you bow your heads each and every week. I want to give you an opportunity just for me to include you in my prayer and response to this. Maybe there's uh, someone here and that message spoke to you about always trying to earn, always trying to use your willpower to overcome sin. And God is just inviting you to start at the top, to pay on debit, If that's you, I just want to pray for you really quickly. Would you just put up your hand so I can just include you in that? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for all those that have raised their hands. Lord, I 
I pray that they would understand how much they are loved. They would understand how much kindness. Lord, we pray for a revelation of the Holy Spirit within them. And Lord, we just pray a release of the grace and kindness of the Holy Spirit, even in their hearts right now. Something that they can't quite explain, but is so real to them. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. I want to pray just for two other groups of people really quickly before we finish today. The second group of people is those that uh, your day-to-day, your weekly pursuit of relationship with the Spirit of God is being opposed by your flesh. You are struggling to connect with God during your week. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to release the grace of God over you. If that's you, would you put up your hand wherever you are? Yeah. Yeah, Lord, I thank you. Lord, so many people. And Lord, we thank you that we are in this battle. But Lord, you are calling us and you have called us to overcome. Right now, we just put aside any kind of guilt, any kind of condemnation, And we replace it with a loving invitation into your presence. A loving invitation. Lord, as a church at Community, we want to know, be known as a people who have a genuine, deepening trust and love for your ways, for time with you. And so, Lord, I pray a great sense of encouragement. Lord, I pray that people's hearts and homes would be filled with prayer. And Lord, I thank you for the overcoming spirit of God in people's lives. Amen. Final uh, prayer. I want to give an invitation to anyone who has never accepted Jesus into their heart and taken that first step to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I want to start that relationship with you. And so if there's anyone here who wants Uh, to do that, I would love to pray with you. Would you put up your hand anywhere that you are? And I'd love to pray with you if that's you. You want to start your relationship with God. You want to accept that free gift of love and grace through Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here who wants to do that? Okay, Lord, Lord, we thank you. Lord, you have called us to live on your wavelength. You've called us to lean into your spirit. You've called us to love you, to desire you, to want what you want more than anything. And so, Lord, I pray for people to be encouraged and strengthened in the things of God. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.